0: Like us to turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis, <clears throat> chapter 15. And we can let the children be dismissed for junior church. Genesis 15. And if you want to, maybe take your bulletin and throw it in at, Gen- at Romans chapter 3. Okay, so Genesis 15. And maybe you want to take your bulletin. And uh, put that in at Romans 3, because uh, when I get towards the end, I want us to turn to the book of Romans to tie out our discussion this morning. Genesis chapter 15. Let's begin reading in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward but Abram said "O sovereign Lord what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus and Abram said you have given me no children no servant in my household will be my heir then the word of the Lord came to him this man will not be your heir but a son coming from your own body will be your heir he took him outside Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. And Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know? that I will gain possession of it. So you take verses 2 through 3, and you take verse 7, and what do you have? You have Abraham, the believer, the man of faith, wrestling with assurance about the promises of God. Abraham in the Bible is called the man of faith. But he's wrestling with doubt and fear. And the question I would ask you this morning as you look at this passage of Scripture is this. Do you ever go through, are you currently going through seasons of doubt and struggle and fear? I think we can safely say that if the man of faith, if the illustration of faith in the Bible wrestled with doubt and wrestled with seasons of fear, then it is likely that all of us will. And what do we learn from this? We learn that in chapter 12, Abraham is a man who hears a directive from God and goes. Just simple faith receives the large promises of God. Later in chapter 12, he faces a famine, makes bad decisions. But what is he doing? He's continuing to move forward in his faith and to grow in his walk with God. In chapter 13, we find a quarrel with Lot, his nephew. We find a generous response of faith from Abraham. Chapter 14, we find that there is spiritual warfare, great faith, success, and worship of God. Okay, so what do we learn from this progression from chapters 12 through 14? What we learn is this. Abraham is a man of faith who has experienced progress and growth in that faith. You see, I think sometimes we think, I come to Christ, I believe, and the rest of my Christian experience will be characterized by great faith. But I think as you study through the pages of Scripture, what you will learn, what you will find, is that all of us need to experience times of growth. We will battle with doubt. We will battle with fear in our walk with God. And the Bible tells us very clearly in 1 Corinthians that these accounts about Abraham and others in the Old Testament are written for our benefit. They're written so that we can read their accounts, read their stories, read their biography, and learn about how their faith in God was growing. And so this morning I want to address the topic of what it is to be assured by the love of God. With this focus, the focus that we have a tendency to have faith that fades and doubt that grows. Okay, and we we wrestle with seasons of fear and seasons of insecurity in our relationship with God. And at the beginning of verse 1, chapter 15 it says the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision and what is the word of the Lord to Abraham the word of the Lord to Abraham is this very simple do not be afraid now I would venture to say and this by the way it's the first time that you will find that statement in scripture do I think it's the first time that people have wrestled with fear and doubt okay I think the answer to that is no we we We'll find that through the pages of Scripture. The first time, however, is to the believer to assure him of the certainty of God's promises. And what is God seeking to do for Abraham? He is seeking to inspire in him, by his promises, a greater faith so that he will move on and be the man that God wants him to be. All of us will wrestle with faith or with fear. God's directive to us, very simple, is do not be afraid. Overcome your fear with faith in God's promises. So let's unpack this text. We're going to look at three thoughts. The cause of fear, the cure for fear, and then the response of faith. Okay? What is it that causes fear in the life of God's children? I think it's fascinating to notice that the end of chapter 14 is a powerful meeting with Melchizedek, a representative and priest of the Most High God. Abraham meets with him, experiences blessings from him, and what does Abraham do? Abraham looks at everything he has, and he gives a tenth of everything to God. Okay, why? Because he is assured of the promises. But in the back of his mind, what is he also thinking? Okay, he just went to war with four kings, the most powerful people in the region. Okay, when do we sometimes experience seasons of doubt and fear? Sometimes after success, we will experience seasons of fear. What is Abraham thinking? Have I provoked enemies? Okay, have I, in my going after and preserving the life of Lot, have I provoked offense and opposition against me? That is probably at some level banging around in his mind. So he takes a step of faith and then after that feels vulnerable with something like this in his mind. Was that decision to fight a wise decision? Okay, that's the question in the back of his mind. Was that decision to take action to provoke four powerful kings a wise decision? So success can sometimes bring a sense of apprehension. Afterwards, we think about the consequences of what it was to step out in faith and we begin to fear that Decision and the results of it. But I think the the focus of Abraham's fear here, the focus or cause of the strength of his doubt, is revealed in the content of chapter 15. And to see this, look with me at verse 2. God says, Abraham, don't be afraid, I'm your protection, I'm your very great reward. But Abraham said, O oh, sovereign Lord, okay, what is this? Okay? This is Abraham saying, God, I hear what you're saying. But I'm wrestling with the reality of my life. Okay, what is Abraham, where is Abraham? Abraham is in a gap. Okay, God has given Abraham promises. Those promises are going to be fulfilled in the future. Where is Abraham living? He's living here in the middle. So God says, Abraham, I am your reward. I'm, well, everything's going to be good. Abraham lives here and the fulfillment of God's promises in the future. Okay, this gap, I think we can call the reality gap. Okay, the reality gap is that, yes, I know the promises of God, and I know that one day Christ is coming, and in a one day all my sins is going to be taken away, and I'll be in heaven with Him forever. But I'm in this season that is provoking struggle. It's provoking tension. Okay, and what in Abraham's case, what is the cause of the tension? I'll give you this word. The cause of the tension for Abraham is delay. He has promises from God. Those promises have not yet been fulfilled, which is to say what? He chose to obey God in chapter 12, to leave the era of the Chaldees, to go into the land of promise. God told him, when you get there, I'm going to give you a son. But as best we can tell, seven to ten years have passed. He's now approaching 85 years old, his wife is aging, and the promise hasn't been fulfilled. The promise was, I'm going to give you a seed, a physical son who will inherit the promises, and I'm going to give you the land. You'll find Abraham raises questions about both of those promises. Why? Because living here and the fulfillment is sometime in the future, and it's in this place that we tend to experience doubt and fear about decisions that we have made in the past. Okay, decision to sacrifice for God, to go into spiritual combat, to share our faith. And in the middle, we question, was that wise? Was that the right decision? In chapter 12 and verse 2, God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. In chapter 12, verse 7, he says to you and your offspring, I will give this land. Chapter 15 and verse 2, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me? in terms of that promise about the land and blessing, since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus. And he goes on to say, you have given me no children. Okay? You said go to the land. When I get there, you're going you're to give me the land, and you're going to give me offspring. It's been ten years, approximately. And what's Abraham battling with? He's battling with the distance between the promise and the fulfillment. So success can cause us to doubt the promises of God. Delay can cause us to doubt the promises of God. And the the problem is heightened in verse 3. You've given me no children. In the back of his mind, what is he thinking? He's thinking what we read in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. Sarah had no children and was barren. Okay. She was childless, and apparently, from everything that people could see, unable to give birth to children. That's where she had been for a long time. She was the love of Abraham's life, obviously. Even though he struggles with his fears, puts her at risk. She is the love of his life. She is the one to whom the promise is going to come. Abraham understands that. And this barrenness and the passing of years is doing what? It's adding to the tension in the reality gap between promise and fulfillment. That gap is overwhelming his faith and is causing him to trust his decision to follow God. Delays and hard circumstances can cause us to doubt the promises of God. And I want to say this to you this morning. To wrestle with doubt is not sin. You don't, you don't find God coming to Abraham and saying, Abraham, stop it. No, what does he do? He, he understands where he is. And he's encouraging him towards what? Towards greater progressive faith in the promises of God. Now, can doubt become sin? Okay, is it sin to wrestle with doubt? Okay, no. Abraham goes to God. He says, God, I want to see your promises fulfilled. I'm just being honest with you. James chapter 1 and verse 5. Right? If you lack wisdom, what should you do? Go to God who will give liberally and won't, won't belittle you, okay? So he says, when you're in that doubt, come bring that doubt to me. Bring that fear to me and watch how I will work and watch what I will do. I think all of us can relate to this struggle. We can relate to this struggle. Perhaps some of us this morning better than others. We may ask, will this complex situation, this season of trouble, ever really get better or be resolved? Some may ask this morning, will I ever find the mate that God wants me to find? Will I ever get the job that I need? Does God have my best interest in mind? Between the promise and the fulfillment, we stand in this reality gap. And as we're in that gap, tensions can rise in our life. Questions. About the fulfillment and assurance of God's promises. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. Because Abraham loves God and has devoted himself to follow him fully. What does he want to do? He wants to honor the name of God. So, he, he comes up with an alternate plan or, if you will, an alternate suggestion. Okay? Do you ever do that? You ever try to get God out of his promises by coming up with alternate blessings? Okay, we scheme a little bit and we get this. And you're going to find Abraham does that along the way. He comes with alternate ways to see the plan of God work out. And so what does he say? In verses 3 and 4 he says, I have no child, but I do have this son of a servant in my household. And he's really the next in line because Lot's gone. And Abraham's like, oh, I got it. Verse 4, what does he say? Or verse 3, end of verse. He says, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Okay, it has a tone of complaint, but it also has a tone of, okay, maybe that's, God, maybe that, and if you're going to work it out that way, I'm fine with that. What's the problem with that kind of thinking? It's not what God said would happen. God told him that someone from his own body would be the one who would inherit the promise of the land and ultimately be a blessing to the world. Okay, what is Abraham doing? He's doing the same thing that we're tempted to do in the reality gap where doubt, is present because of success and because of delay. He's looking for an alternate route, which would be what? To settle for much less than what God had promised him. And so God speaks to Abraham with the cure for his fear. And as you look at this, I want you to ask yourself this question. Okay, the cure for fear. How does God seek to encourage our faith when it weakens? When it feels vulnerable, what does God do in your life to assure you, to drive out doubt and to drive out fear? What what does he do? I want you to look at what he does for Abraham. First thing in verse 1 is this. He comes directly against the fear and says, Abraham, do not be afraid. Okay, Don't, Abraham, based on the view of circumstances, don't doubt my promises. Don't doubt my assurance. Don't doubt my goodness. So you find this first, this, this strong statement. And this statement, be not afraid, is found approximately 33 times in the Bible. Okay, the vast majority of the times that you find this statement, be not afraid, it is attributed to God or to his son, Jesus Christ, in the New Testament. Okay, and if you start thinking through. I, probably this is one of the most repeated commands in the Bible. It's fascinating that it goes after a negative tendency that we have to doubt and to fear. Okay, and so God says to Abraham, Abraham, don't be afraid. Okay, so stop fearing. And then he gives him a few things that are meant to encourage him. And I just want to look at two. He gives him a reminder of his protection. Verse 1, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. And your very great reward. What is this? God is saying, Abraham, I called you there. Remember, I am your shield, your protection, and your reward will be very great is a better way to translate it. In either case, what is it? God is saying, I am your protection. I am intending to be your reward. So don't reach out for other things. Stick with and cling to my promises. Trust in my word and my directives over your life. So he gives him a promise and a reminder of his protection. What is this to say? This is to say we need to fight fears and doubts with faith. Okay? The psalmist puts it this way. He says of God, Thou, O Lord, art a shield, where? About me. You're surrounding me. I'm living in your presence. That's the idea. Fascinating, then, that when you go to Ephesians chapter 6 and you find the believer in spiritual warfare, what are we told to do? And take up the shield of what? Faith. Okay? Take up the shield of faith. With it, what do you do? You quench all the fiery darts of the devil. And what are the darts of the devil intended to do? They're intended to destabilize us and cause us to be afraid. And so he's saying, when Abraham throws doubts against us about the faithfulness of God and about his promises, what should we do? Take up the shield of faith. What does God say? Abraham, I am your shield. I'm your protection. I am all the way around you. Which speaks of what? A shield about you is not something that you ever saw a soldier go into war with. Right? Did anybody ever see, ever see a soldier running into war inside of a tube? Okay? It's a bizarre picture. But it's an amazing picture. Why? Because God is, because of His omnipresence and omnipotence and omniscience, He has all of the bases covered around the circumference of your life. Folks, here's what He's saying. Abraham, I can see where you can't see. I can see the things that you can't see. I can see into the future. I've got that covered. And so He speaks about His protection as a means of bringing security and driving out doubt and fear in Abram's life. What really is at stake here? What really is at stake here is the faithfulness of God. What's really at stake in this text is the character of God. Abraham is questioning whether or not God will fulfill his promises in the way that he said he would. Okay, that's the wrestling match here. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I am still here. I am still your great reward. I am still your shield and protection. Jesus says something like this in Luke twenty twelve verse 32. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to bring, give you the kingdom. It is your father's delight. He delights to be faithful to you. He delights to honor his character. So what does God do? What he does for Abraham is he reassures him of his promises and of his protection. Look at verse 4. God says to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Now, what is God doing? He's tightening up on the words, becoming more specific about the nature of the fulfillment of the promise. Abraham's looking for an alternative. There's one in my household, lives in the walls of my house. God says, no, one is going to come from your own body. Okay, he will be your son, and ultimately we'll find very clearly he's going to come through Sarah. Okay? Abraham's struggle. I don't have an heir. What does God do? He overrules Abraham's attempt to come up with an alternate plan. He overrules Abraham's attempt to come up with a way that God can get out from under this promise and still be true to his word. Someone in my household. And God says, no, Abraham. Even though it is apparently impossible from a human perspective for you to have a son with your wife Sarah, I'm going to do it. That's the promise that he gives to what? To drive away doubt. And then what does he do? He says, Abraham, come outside with me. So apparently they're inside the tent talking. He brings them outside, and what does he say? Look at verse five. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens, count the stars if you can. And can you imagine what this was like? In the Near Eastern world, no, you don't you don't have any light pollution. Okay? You have pure blackness. God takes him outside. He says, okay, Abraham, look at the stars. Now, count them. And I love the way God says this. He says, count them if you can indeed count them. And so Abraham's standing there looking up. What is it? It's an illustration of the glory of God. Psalm 19, 1. The heavens are doing what? They're declaring the glory of God, the faithfulness of God, the power of God. Looking at them says something about the God that Abraham knows. Here's what's fascinating to me. Go back into chapter 14. When Melchizedek is seeking to assure Abraham of the goodness of God, how does Melchizedek speak? He reminds him very specifically, blessed be Abraham by God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth. How does God assure Abraham of the blessings that are coming his way? They're coming from the one who created the heavens and the earth. Chapter 15, God takes Abraham outside. He says, okay, Abraham, look up at that. Quickly looked up the number of stars on the internet, and here, here's a fascinating thing. I've done this over the years. The number keeps changing. Okay, I mean, when I say changing, I mean like massively changing. Like it is absolutely astonishing. Here's here's the the one estimate of the numbers of stars: 300 sextillion, which is 3 trillion times one, or 3 trillion times 100 billion. Okay? Three trillion times 100 billion. Okay. Yeah. Give or take a few billion. Okay? Wait, what are they? What does God do? God takes, he can't even see. He says, okay, count them. Okay? This is the humor of God. Okay? So you start counting. Okay? And as you're staring, your eyes are adjusting. What are you realizing? Oh, I missed all those. Because why? There's greater clarity. As you stare. And look, bottom line is this. There is no night long enough. You can't come back the next night and say, okay, now where was I? You, what is God doing? He, he's pointing to something that is meant to blow Abraham's mind. He, why, he's the Creator. He put all of this vast array there. And folks, we don't even see it. Here's the way the estimate runs. Okay, that number I gave you, which I don't understand. Okay? It's ten times, ten times the number of the grains of sand on the shore and in all the deserts of the world. Okay, that's the estimate. God made that. Okay? Uh, I want to go this strong. How dare we doubt him? He made that. He said, Abraham, come out. Look up. Go ahead, count. So shall your offspring be. What is he saying? He's not saying it's going to be 300 sextillion. Okay, but what is he saying? He's saying, Abraham, through you, there will be this innumerable host. And what is God saying? Folks, you know what God is saying? He's reaching out to the further fulfillment of the promise. In you, Abraham, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Galatians 3 will go on to say this. Every believer is part of Abraham's family. They are spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. He's not just talking about the physical promises. He's talking about the eternal promises that relate to Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.16 When God says to Abraham, To your seed... Paul picks it up and says, When God said that, he was talking about Jesus. That's a mind blower to your seed. Who? Jesus Christ. Who brings what? The Bible says, many sons and daughters to glory. That God is speaking in ways that are way beyond Abraham's capacity to grasp. What is God saying, and how should we respond? God is saying, Abraham, I own the future. Here's the way Jeremiah said it. Ah, Lord God, You have made the heavens and the earth by Your outstretched arm and power. Therefore, there is nothing too hard to be. You see, that's what God is saying. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. The firmament is showing His handiwork. His capacities, His attributes are revealed, Romans 1 says, as we look at what He's made. I'm astonished by the sand on the seashore. Sand in the desert. Ten times that hangs in the sky. That should blow our mind. What is God saying to Abraham? He's saying, Abraham, I own the future. This is an issue, Abraham, of my character and power. And so what I want you to do, Abraham, is trust me. And here's the thing I would say to you this morning, friends. We need to take our doubts and our fears and bring them to God. Who has made everything. Because if He can handle that, He can handle every circumstance in your life. The response of Abraham to this is probably one of the most powerful statements of the Gospel in the Old Testament. Verse 6. And this is our response to fear. So we see what causes it. We see the cure for it. Look to the God who made the heavens and the earth. He is faithful and quite able to keep His promises even when it looks impossible. Third, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to God when you go to Him with your doubts and fears? He assures you. What, how, do you how do you honor someone like that? Okay, and I, I think, I think as, as I think about this, I think about parents and children. I think about a child who is desperately afraid with night frights. Mom or dad goes in, wraps the child up in their arms and says, it's okay. How does the child honor that mom and dad? By saying, thank you. Okay, but just when they just rest, when they just go limp, when they just relax in your arms and stop fighting, what does it say? It affirms that they trust you. They honor you. The response of Abraham to his fear and to God's promises is down in verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord. And he, that is God, Credit it to him as righteousness. What is Abraham being called to do? He's being called by God to fight his doubt and his fear with faith in the promises of God. Why is it recorded? It's recorded because all of us will go through seasons of struggle like this. God is saying to Abraham, Abraham, trust me. Abraham gives this response. He believed God. And I'll give you this definition for belief it is a settled conviction about God in the face of fear and doubt. Okay, a settled conviction about God, who He is in the middle of your fear and doubt. Okay, Abraham took God at His word. It was not, and please understand this, it was not that Abraham was into the idea of just having faith. This wasn't a leap in the dark. It wasn't, okay, I'm just going to become more confident. No. This was a response to the revelation that God had just given him. And what is Abraham saying? He says, okay, God, I'll trust you. In the midst of my fear about ever having a son, about ever possessing the land, because without the son I can't possess the land, In spite of the apparent impossible circumstance, I am going to trust you. God's response to Abraham's faith is one of the first strong statements of the gospel. It says, and he credited to him as righteousness. Turn in your Bibles now to Romans chapter 3 real quickly if you would. Romans 3. Because I think it's so important that we understand what this statement is about. Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. The question that rises is, what is God's response to simple faith from his children? How does God respond to that when you come to him and you say, God, I trust you? This text says God credited it to him as righteousness, which is moral perfection. It is not self-generated. It is given as a gift. It is the status that we need to be able to stand in the presence of a holy God. How does it come? It is given. It is deposited into your life by God. That is the gift that He gives us. Romans 3 and verse 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. To which the law And the prophets, which is what? The law is the writings of Moses. Moses testified to this righteousness given as a credit from God. Verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through what? Through faith. Folks, it doesn't come to us through reformation. It doesn't come through being religious or doing good things or being moral. It comes by faith. It is the response of God to desperate faith that says, God, you're all I have. And you are all I need. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Why? Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what does God give? God gives us a righteousness that is not earned, that we do not pay for, but that he has provided through the goodness of Jesus, through the perfect life of Jesus, and the blood of Christ that washes away our sin. Chapter 4 of Romans. What did Abraham discover when he believed God? Verse 3 of Romans 4. What does the scripture say? It says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. It doesn't come as a gift wrapped, it comes as a paycheck. It's a response to performance. Okay? But in this case, what happens? Abraham has it given to him as righteousness. Verse 5. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Okay, so what do you find? You find in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, Abraham believed God. It was credited to his account as righteousness. You find the same thing when you come to Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 3. Righteousness from God that is through Jesus Christ. So, here's the question I ask you then. Who is it, ultimately, that Abraham is believing and trusting? Who is he trusting in Genesis 15? He's believing in what God is pointing forward to in the person of Christ. Okay, which is amazing. Now, go back to Genesis real quickly, and I'll just look at this Picture of assurance. This picture of assurance. All right, with this thought in the back of your mind, when you respond to Jesus with simple faith, he meets your greatest need. Okay, he helps you in the reality gap, he assures you about and by his great, amazing love. Verse 7 He said, I am the Lord who brought you up out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land, to take possession of it. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Okay, and this, this goes to kind of the core of the issue. God, how can I know? What is this really a question about? This is a question about the character of God. This is a question about the reliability and faithfulness of God to his son, Abraham. What is Abraham saying? He's saying, God, i got to be honest and say it. I'm wrestling with doubt. Now, he has the faith of a believer, but he's wrestling with doubt. Okay? Now, what does God do? How does God assure him of his love and his promises? God does something in this text that is absolutely amazing. Verse 9. The Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with the dove and a young pigeon. Now, any Jew reading this would know that these are the sacrificial animals of the Old Testament covenant, which is not in play yet. Abraham is 400 years before that sacrificial system. And what does God do? God draws from imagery that's forthcoming. Why? Because the audience to this text is who? It's the people of Israel coming out of Egypt through the Exodus. And what is God showing them? He's showing that when Abraham found assurance about the promises of God, he found it through a covenant. He found it through a promise. And notice what this text says. This is just absolutely amazing. The Lord said, bring me a heifer and a goat. So Abraham brings them out. Abraham brought all these to him. And Abraham understands what's going on. Because this is, this is a sacred oath That God is making to Abraham. Okay? It's a sacred oath. Okay? When when, when a young man wants to assure a girl of his love, what does he do? He goes out and spends enormous amounts of money to provide gifts, flowers, chocolate, baked goods, whatever it is. He just, he, why? To assure her that what I've said, I mean it. I mean it. Okay? I got a little bit of that going on in my house lately. Okay? I'm a little nervous about all this. But what is it? They've made comments about commitment, and now what are they doing? They're backing up those comments with assurance. What has God done to Abraham? He said, Abraham, I am committed to you. And now, Abraham, through a solemn, most sacred oath, I will demonstrate to you the depth of my commitment. How dead serious I am about this. And what is he going to do? In this text, he's going to cut a covenant. That's the way that in, in the Old Testament ritual okay in that time period this is the way they did it they would cut a covenant okay now what does it mean abraham takes the animals that god told him to bring and this will sound disturbing and it'll sound strange to you but it's the way that they would assure of a solemn oath. here's how serious i am about my commitment between two kings this is the way they would do it they would cut animals in half and once those animals were laid in half they would walk between the dead animals To say what? May the same thing happen to me if I don't keep my word. Okay, strange to us. But I think we can understand how utterly and absolutely solemn that was. So Abraham puts out those those sacrifices, this solemn ceremony. But here's the amazing thing. Abraham's not passing through. Why? This covenant is not bilateral made by two people it's unilateral it's made by god god says abraham you prepare the ceremony and i will arrive and what do you find you find that abraham falls into a deep sleep and then the presence of god comes into this incredible setting god the bible says passes through Okay, verse 17 and following. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch. Now, anybody who has read the book of Exodus or Numbers is immediately going to understand what this is. The presence of God on Mount Sinai with what? With smoke and fire. Okay, so you have this smoking pot and this burning torch that in this vision that Abraham has passes between the animals that have been cleaved in two. What is God saying to Abraham? What is God saying? If I can die, then this promise could be null and void. But over my, in a sense, we say this, over my dead body, or I am dead serious about this. That's what God is saying to Abraham. Abraham, here's how serious I am about the oath. Here's how serious I am about my covenant and my promises to you. I put my life, my very existence, my being on the line. And then verse 18, it says, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I, and it's very fascinating in the original language, To your descendants I have already given this land. What is God doing? God's talking about the future in the context of a solemn oath, saying, I am faithful to my word. You can count on it. What is God doing? God is assuring Abraham of his promise and love. Now, I want you to jump forward with me in your mind and ask you, by asking yourself this question. What is pictured? In this solemn ceremony where the animals are, are killed and cut into, what is pictured? What is anticipated? Okay, and I think it, to every believing Christian, it's going to be very obvious what's pictured here. What's pictured here is God's love and covenant with us through the cross of Christ. Because the one that dies to assure us of God's love and to pay the price for our sin is Jesus. Okay, and, and you can go all the way back in Genesis 15, and what do you find? You find evidence of this future sacrifice of Christ through which and by which, when we believe, we are forgiven of our sin by his stripes, Isaiah 53 says. We indeed are healed. It's for this reason. That in John chapter 8, Jesus talking with the religious leadership says this. He says, they ask this question, are you greater than Abraham our father? They're they're sparring with Jesus about his identity and about his person. They hear him claim great things. He says, before Abraham was born, I am, I existed before him. I was the one there in Genesis 15. And then Jesus makes this statement, John chapter 8 and verse 56. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day and was glad. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought, at the prophetic imagery that is bound up in Genesis 15. And when he saw that I was coming, one through whom righteousness would come, what did Abraham do? Abraham got happy and got confident in God. He rejoiced to see the day of Christ. That is one of the most mind-blowing statements that emerges from this text. Folks, listen. Where's the best place for us as Christians to be assured of God's love? Where's the best place? 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. When we wrestle with doubt and fear, what should we do? Run to the cross? Go back to that illustration of God's covenant love. Look at the story of Abraham. Look how God promises and solemnly commits Himself to Abraham. And then look how He has solemnly committed Himself to you, to the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. And let that Encourage your faith as you live in the reality gap between faith in Christ and the second coming. It's interesting that Peter would later say, don't think that God is slow about his promises as some count slowness. He is faithful to his promise. And the Son of God will one day come. And what do we do? We're living here and we're saying, boy, someone just said this to me the other day. It would be a nice day for the Lord to come. Do okay? you, ever, you ever feel that way? In the midst of doubt, in the midst of fear, it would be good to see Jesus today. Right? And what does God say? Look to the cross and see Jesus. See His oath, His covenant, His blood. And let it deeply and profoundly encourage your heart. Come, as the songwriter said, just as I am without one plea, but that Thy blood was shed for me, and that Thou bidst me. Come to Thee, O Lamb of God, I come. To do what? to gaze afresh upon the cross of Christ and to find our wrestling with doubt and fear, diminishing and faith and confidence and courage and trust in God rising. And folks, remember this. When you wrestle, He loves you. The question for you this morning is this. Do you believe in the love of God for you? Do I? Can I be honest? Not always as much as I should. I believe it. I am confident of it. And am I as confident of it as I wish I was. And as I should be. The answer is. Not always. Not always. Why? Because sometimes life and circumstances can frustrate us. Living in a fallen world can frustrate us. It beats us up. And we have to get back to the cross to find assurance. This morning. I ask you this question. Have you believed in the shed blood of Christ alone like Abraham? Have you taken God at his word and believed? The question is not are you moral, not are you selfless, not are you religious, not are you trying hard. The question is have you come and seen that Jesus Christ is your hope and that by simple faith in him your entire future life can be changed? I give you this encouraging thought. Our salvation does not depend on outdoing Abraham. Doesn't depend on us saying, okay, I've got to look at Abraham's life and be like him. Your salvation is not dependent upon your ability to be like Abraham. Your salvation is dependent upon the God who saved Abraham. And if you have believed him, if you never have, I would encourage you this morning, trust in him. But if you have trusted him with your life, You've come to him and said, Lord, I believe that your blood cleanses me from all my sin. And I trust in you. Folks, if you've trusted him with that, what is left in your life that you can't trust God with? What remains that we can't put into his capable hands? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he with him freely give us all things? My encouragement to you this morning is fight your doubt with faith. Take up the shield of faith and with it, quench the fiery darts of the evil one. Believe in Him. Trust Him. Wait for Him. Hold on to His promises. Step out with faith in His love. He is faithful. And He will do it. Our Father, this morning we thank You for the reminders